0: And in your book, they were all written. The days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. How precious also were your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. And when I awake, I am still with you. And Father, we... Humbly ask as we open the word of God now, as an act of worship, as we continue in this gathering of worship towards you, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you'd give us each an ear to be able to hear what your spirit is desiring to say to this part of your church. And Lord, particularly through this portion of your word, may every intent and reason behind why your spirit breathed out these things and caused them to be recorded. May we hear that for ourselves this morning personally. May you speak to us in a direct way that we know that you communicated what we needed to hear. Bless your word and would you teach us now by your Spirit's ministry, we ask expectantly together in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. Amen, you may be seated. Do you struggle at times perhaps with your identity? It seems that we live in a world today where there's a lot of talk about Identity crisis and people trying to figure out their true identity. Maybe sometimes you, whether now or in the past, have kind of wondered maybe even in a process of reasoning, maybe why the way you are, the way that you are, Uh, maybe in comparison to other people, sometimes that has an effect upon us. Sometimes we struggle with personal insecurities or wrestle with our own self-worth or value as a person. Uh, there are times even we make the mistake as well, I think, where we can tend to put more value upon things in this world than we do really put value upon people themselves. Well, these verses that we're going to look at together this morning really encourage us, uh, particularly, I think, towards two things. First of all, to embrace your God-given identity. To realize that your identity and every part of what that means is something that is divine and sacred and was given to you without mistake by your creator. And so, therefore, to embrace your God-given identity. And secondly, to understand the great value of each and every individual who has ever spent any time at all on this planet. And to realize that every individual has tremendous value and more than that, equal value. And that's because the value that God has put upon them, not the way we measure, evaluate the value or importance of different individuals for human reasons. Psalm 139, if you're not familiar with it, David is contemplating in the psalm the greatness of God. And it just seems that he's marveling and reflecting, as David often would, over the incredible attributes of God and what made God totally unique, particularly from any human being. What made him so different, so set apart in different attributes that God had that people don't have and how these particular truths should then influence the way that we relate to God. For example, though we're not going to look at it in depth this morning, first of all in this psalm, David's pondering how God has full knowledge about everything. We call that God's you know, omniscience, that he's all-knowing, that God knows every fact, every detail, has full awareness of everything, that God can learn nothing and that God knows about everything that exists and particularly he knows everything about us. In fact, if you'll look with me there in verses 1 through 4, let me just read it. That's what David's saying. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. In other words, before a thought even comes to your mind and a little synapses happen, God already looks when you're having that tense conversation. He goes, oh, no, I know what she's about to think. Oh, no, I know what he's about to think right there. And God knows our thought before the thought even happens. It's pre-thunk, if that's a word. God knows it even before it happens. He knows how we're going to think about this and maybe even how we're going to view that. And he's thinking, oh, I wish they wouldn't. They're gonna, when this happens, they're going to think And God already knows our thoughts before they happen. So he knows us. He says there, you comprehend my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. There's nothing you're doing that God's not aware of. In your personal life, your private life, you could hide it from everyone else. But nothing you're doing that God's not acquainted with. He's acquainted with all of your ways. He then says, verse 4, for there's not a word on my tongue but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. He knows what we're going to say before we say it. He knows every word that comes out of our mouth. He's fully aware of all things about us. And also we see secondarily that David expresses in the next verses, God's presence encompassing all places. And that there's nowhere that we can be or go when we are separated in any way from God. Look in verse 7 through 10 as David expresses that here. He says, where can I go from your spirit, God? Where can I flee from your presence? You know, people say I'm running from God <laughs> as if somehow you're going to outrun him. I mean, it's kind of a silly idea. Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend all the way up into heaven, oh, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. In other words, God, there's nowhere I can go to hide from you. If I make my wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, he says, your hand will lead me and your right hand will lead shall hold me so again this idea that there is nowhere that you can escape from God you can escape from people you can't escape from God his all-seeing eyes his all-knowing awareness you can't run from God's presence maybe you can reject and ignore God's presence and we've all done that at times in our lives but the reality is we can't escape God's presence and the wonderful thing too is this also conveys that there's nowhere that we can be that God can't be with us You may have to go somewhere. You may be somewhere and you may think, man, nobody's here with me to help me, to support me. That's not true. God is. You can go to the other side of the world in God's presence and help and everything that you need from God is there just as much as it is right here sitting in this seat this morning. That you're never truly biblically alone because God's presence is everywhere and God is able to help us and his hand is there to assist us. And at this point, David's mind is then drawn verses 13 through 18 to think about God's direct and personal involvement in uniquely creating and designing each one of us to be the individual that we are and that he accomplished that process in our mother's womb. And it reveals the marvels of God's power and his wisdom and his love and the value he puts on each individual and it exalts as well, I believe, the value of motherhood. And how God uses that to create and bring about unique, incredible, valuable individuals according to his design. And I think seeing what's in these verses should exhort us, again, to embrace and accept our God-given identity by his design. And it should also challenge us to understand the value and the high importance of every individual. Look at me back in verse 13 as we work our way through this. It says there that David proclaimed, for you have formed, speaking to God, you have formed my inward parts and you have covered me in my mother's womb. So again, under the direction of the Holy Spirit of God. Keep in mind, God's spirit inspired the word. So everything David's saying, he's saying because God, who knows all, is directing David to say these things. So these aren't David's declarations of truth. Technically, these are God's declarations of truth. And he says here, under the direction of God's Spirit, that he directly attributes his existence as a man, notice, to God as the personal designer and creator of his life. David had no question of his divine origin and why he was created. Look what he says there in verse 13 in the text. He says, Lord, you formed Lord, you formed me within my mother's womb. David understood. God established the sacred design of creating new life, giving origin to a new person, a new individual through what he designed from the book of Genesis of a male and a female within the bonds of marriage through sexual expression, being able to come together and God's biological design to create a new life requires the contribution of a male and a female which he uniquely created by design for that purpose to be able to create new life under his direction genesis 2 regarding the marriage relationship the first man and woman a male and female it says the man and his wife were both naked and when joined they shall become god says one what flesh one flesh in other words the clearest indication of two people becoming one flesh is when a man and a woman in marriage a male and a female come together through sexual intimacy and one human being is produced one flesh out of two people, that two people actually make one person. And this is what the Bible is telling us regarding that incredible expression. God using the egg supplied by a woman and fertilized by the man creates life. God causes conception and through that process of that union, 23 chromosomes supplied by the woman, 23 chromosomes supplied by the male, that supplies the essential building blocks genetically for everything that is needed to develop complex human beings that we are. All of that right there is supplied, the institution of life on the basic cellular level, and then God powerfully orchestrates designing and creating the human body. And in this section, it's emphatically stated again and again, multiple references how as life is going through the developmental process over the 40-week time frame of development in a mother's womb that God is directly and personally involved in the process. That he's directing the process, that he's overseeing it, and he is the one performing the work. Again, in verse 13, you, God, have formed my inward parts. He says, you, we're going to see, knit me together in my mother's womb. In verse 14, he says, I am wonderfully made by you, God, by your works that amaze me. Verse 15, he says to God, I was made by you and skillfully wrought, put together, assembled by God. So as David's considering this in verse 13, the creative genius of God in this complex design of a person, he says there in the end of verse 13, to God, you covered me in my mother's womb. Now that word covered there that he uses speaks of creating a beautiful blanket with many different colors and all kinds of incredible artistic design. In fact, the verb that's used there could be better translated. And in some translations, it's, it's brought out that way. You weaved me together in my mother's womb. You knit or embroider. That's the picture there, knitting and embroidering a covering, a blanket that has beautiful art and colors and design to it. Other translations render this section here. You wove me inside my mother's womb. You knit me together in my mother's womb. It pictures God with a a weaving tool, a knitting tool and sitting there using multiple various colors of thread Patiently, like a person knitting with intentional ideas and designs and creativity to bring about this beautiful artistic work of art that's different than anything else that's ever been created before, that has unique designs and patterns and aspects to it. And again, the imagery there that that the Holy Spirit's creating for us, here is Almighty God, Almighty God, and yet Almighty God stooping down (laughs) With incredible personal intimacy and taking the time with each human life to knit together exactly what he wants in the creation of that life, beautifully putting and weaving together each person, carefully envisioning exactly what he wants in each and every one of our lives. And again, the same way, you know, taking these certain colors to, to weave that in or to knit that in, maybe leaving out these certain things because the other one had that, but this one, no, I, I want this much of this color and, and not, not much of that color and, and the designs and the differences and the creativity. It pictures God here condescending and purposely inserting specific features into each and every human being's life particular things by design with personal interest because we're important and special to him and the point is people with our limited understanding unfortunately we often don't value and take into consideration the incredible effort of design and creativity and complexity that God weaves and knits each life together again that reality from conception to zygote to embryo To fetus to birth all that whole process god weaving and knitting and making it exactly the way that he wants it to be that each person's life is in connection to god's weaving and knitting him together and david being who he was david says of god's creativity in verse 13 god it was you therefore i know he says who formed my inward parts my inward parts now Certainly there, that is true and could be a reference to all of David's internal organs, the parts of his body, his systems of organs that function within, the complexity of how our bodily systems function, and the amazing organ systems we have and how they work interdependently, the incredible design of all those things, uh, the way that God knit us together inwardly. That's astounding, the capacity of our human bodies, the complexity of them. I think, however, it's not only a reference just to the inward parts tangibly or materially, but I think David here also is being astonished and referring as well to the immaterial parts of who he was inwardly. The inward parts of David's life that made him unique from Solomon or from Abraham or from Isaac. That the inward parts and components of who David was specifically astonished him as well. That God knit together the inward workings of who David was as an individual. Again, God determining the the, the realities of the chemical and hormonal and temperamental differences, the distinctions just between male and female. God determines that. And what makes someone uniquely male and someone uniquely distinctly female? Think as well beyond that of all of the creativity that exists on this planet of human beings of God inwardly determining people's unique personalities and the idiosyncrasies of our lives, our our temperaments, the vast array of different temperaments that people have, all the differences in, in our preferences, that one person prefers vanilla and the other prefers chocolate. Or, or the preferences of personalities and what appeals to us, what doesn't appeal to us. What our interests are. That, that all of those things that God has designed and weave those things into us, giving to us certain aptitudes. Why do some people perhaps maybe have you know, an incredible intellect and they're very intellectual and they could almost sleep through college and pass every test? But you put a wrench in their hand, they have no idea what to do with it. And then someone else, schoolwork and bookwork, oh my goodness. But, I mean, you can give them an engine taken apart down to every little screw, and you can give them a set of tools, and oh, no, no, no no problem. And they have an aptitude, mechanically, to just put things, and again, there's this aptitude that God's wired in them. And all these you know, distinctions and differences of, of our different strengths and weaknesses our different tendencies towards certain things. Sometimes we have a bent towards certain temperaments or a bent towards certain things. David realized that it was the Lord who created all these things, that it was the Lord who knit these things together to make David specifically just like David was which made him who he was in his identity. He says, Lord, you formed my inward parts. That's why I am the way I am, he's saying. What an awesome thing to realize that God has, the way I see it, God has wired each person. And he's not a faulty electrician, okay? God's wired each person. He's wired you to be uniquely exactly who you are. Why am I like this? And why do I kind of have this Because that's how God wired you. And he may not have wired you like this person. And to realize that God wires us a certain way. Now, look, granted life experiences can short circuit some things within us. And I don't, you know, in any way want to diminish the fact that we can go through certain things, you know, traumatizing things and experiences in life that that kind of short circuit some things within. And then that does cause the, the wiring then maybe to get a little out of sync and things are short-circuiting. But by and large, from a general overall perspective, don't question why you are the way you are. God wired you that way. Don't question why, why, why is he like that? Well, that's how God wired him. He didn't wire him like he did you. He didn't wire her like you. It's a realize. You have children, you start to realize. It, it's important to have wisdom to realize God didn't wire them all the same way. They're wired differently. They're wired uniquely and you got to be sensitive of that. And more than that, you got to then therefore relate to people sometimes because that's the way God wired them Or with our children to appreciate and to value them and, and to realize, hey, this is just the way God wired them. So how can I help them be the most effective in connecting with them, relating to them, training them, preparing them, and even just appreciating other people rather than always being so frustrated with other people? Why are they like this?
1: What's the matter with them? That
0: personality, ugh. Well, there's people that go, your personality, ugh. We're all wired different. Let somebody be who God made them to be. Let them have the identity that God gave to them. There are curses and blessings to all of our personalities, strengths and weaknesses and pros and cons. And we should always remember that. David says, verse 14, Lord, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous, He says are your works and that my soul knows full well. So he we pondering the greatness of God revealed in his creative genius and as David's thinking through this and how God designed us complex and yet with these individual personal traits of our identity, he's just overwhelmed here. Notice it compels him to worship God. He's not angry at God for the way God made him. Actually, he's impressed with God. He says, Lord, he says, I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. He's, he's compelled to worship his creator and to be thankful to God. He's saying, God, thank you that you made me this complex being and the capacities of my human body, God. It's astonishing what we're able to do and, and the way you've designed us as human beings. And he's I think, thank you, God, as well, for making me with intention and purpose the way that you wanted me to be that's why he says there i am fearfully and wonderfully weighed marvelous are your works the picture there is david is struck with amazement he, he's just awestruck at the reality of what god did in his design and i'll tell you any bit of research or study you do of the complexity and the wonders of the human body that kind of stuff's mind-blowing you know, an anatomy class or a science class, a biology class, you know, looking at fetal development or a, you know, documentary about this kind of stuff, the operations of our human body and the intricacies and the complexities of fetal development and what our bodies have the capacity to do is just shocking. It's overwhelming. From the day of conception, things beginning on that microscopic cellular level and yet, All of the DNA-coded information that is there and present in the very first cell, everything exists there to create a fully functioning human being with all the complexities and the intricacies and then add on top of that all the unique identities and variables of who we are that makes us different from every other person. The DNA code then replicates as cells multiply and divide. And, and then, you know, these initial cells at some point that we don't even understand then choose to change and certain cells decide to go become bone cells. Having all the same information initially and then others decide to go be skin cells and others decide to go be organ cells and this stuff that we're learning but yet don't even fully grasp. It's been said that if you took all the info contained in the dna code within a human being that the information there in that dna code could fill the grand canyon two times that's a lot of code that's a lot of information inside of a a human body you know the the instant after conception god's superintending over all this two weeks into after conception a discernible heartbeat already evident I mean, the the things that God does, 43 days in, detectable brain waves, 12 weeks in already, all the bodily organs in operation, nine weeks in, we have our own unique fingerprints already, nine weeks in, you already have that unique thing we talk about, hey, nobody has the same fingerprint, nine weeks in already. God gives you that unique stamp, if you would, of a fingerprint that's unique. you know, learning about the human body and anatomy is that the intricacy, the complexity, the brain alone, you have this little three pound mass of meat in your head protected by this helmet of called a skull, even though your brain doesn't even have pain sensation, which is quite a crazy thing. That's why a lot of times when they do you know, brain surgery and work on people's brains, they can keep them awake and alert. I mean, it's just a crazy reality. That goes on. But our brain alone, I mean, the capacity of our brain to handle and function more processes faster than a thousand supercomputers. Our brains constantly, you know, taking in information and billions, tens of billions of neurons, something like over a hundred trillion electrical neurons you know uh, interactions and connections happening constantly receiving and evaluating information processing it as these come from the stimuli of our different five senses and and then critical thinking and all the while running in the background like a computer's got things running in the background all your involuntary bodily organs you're not keeping track of that how many times do you think about keeping your heart beating since we started the bible study how many times were you thinking about making sure your digestive tract was working right or that you were breathing properly? Again, in the background, God's operating all those things. The Bible, uh, your, uh, science tells us that the brain has the capacity to be able at any time to store 2.5 trillion words of information. That's more than is contained in the Library of Congress. And, and our brains don't even function at full capacity from what we understand some of us have helped that that's not too good of an idea but uh, it's an incredible thing the way that god has designed us and created us the capacity fearfully and wonderfully made how about all the regulatory systems that our body does keeping things at certain pressures in your body certain levels that are necessary to deal with fighting infections to the body's ability to heal itself to repair itself, to replace cells, all the involuntary muscles. Your stomach, this will be good in case you got for Mother's Day today. Your stomach, this little 12 inch bag, this 12 inch sack or bag can digest a one pound steak in a few hours without, with the same acidic strength, digesting itself. How does the acidic, you know, digest a one pound steak within a matter of a few hours but yet it doesn't digest the organ which is tissue as well like the steak is phenomenal and this is why david says here lord this is why the bible i'm fearfully and wonderfully made marvelous are your works god i think david's marveling over the fact of not only again the the biological way that we're designed But I think David too is marveling over the reality that God made him to be David. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, not just like every other human being, but God, who I am. Again, my inward parts, my identity, everything about my personality and my traits. Again, this morning, let me just say, despite your opinion of yourself, please recognize you are fearfully and wonderfully made from God's perspective. There is nothing I don't care what your opinion has been of yourself, how it's been shaped by what others have said to you or devalued you or put you down or discouraged you. The bottom line is this, God's opinion matters more than anybody's. And from God's perspective, you are absolutely perfect exactly the way that God created you. Exactly the way that God created you. You are not a mistake. I don't care how your conception came about. You were not a mistake. God doesn't make mistakes. Your life, there's there's nothing about your life that is inferior to another person. Oh, because they're like this and I'm not like that, so I must be inferior. That's not true. There's nothing in your life that's, that's missing in some way or that you're lacking. From God's perspective, you are perfect exactly the way that you are. The way that God designed you. And it's important by faith to believe that and to accept that. That's important to grasp. I'm not lacking something. I am who I am because this is how God made me to be. Why well, don't I have this capacity or this person's life is like... That's the way God wanted their life to be. And God has a loving, wise, perfect reason as a perfect God that your life is the way that your life is. Everything from the physical part of you to the immaterial part of you to everything about you, God sees you as perfectly by design the way that he wanted you to be. There are no flaws. There are no mistakes. It's important that we recognize that regarding ourselves. David says in verse 15 there, my frame, now the physical part of his frame, was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, your eyes, he says, verse 16, saw My substance, notice, being yet unformed. Again, here David's using some poetic language to describe how God was working creatively to design our bodies even before they were seen on the earth. He's using there, verse 15, metaphors or analogies when he says, I was made in secret in the lowest parts of the earth. He's using metaphorical language, which the ancient reader would understand, to describe really just what they saw as the sacredness and the mystery of human life happening. Remember, they didn't have ultrasound, okay? They, They couldn't see the whole period of development. They couldn't see it was in secret. They couldn't see what was going on there. So for them... It was a mysterious, sacred thing, you know, in secret, this creative thing takes place where God's designing in the uterus sac of, of a woman's body, and everybody's waiting for the day of birth to see what God made. What did he make? A boy or a girl? What are they going to look like? What are they going to be like? And there was this whole wonder of waiting while others were waiting to see what came forth, David saying God was already aware because from day one he was seeing it all he was watching it all he says my frame wasn't hidden from you god he says people on the outside when i was in my mother's womb they couldn't see my frame but he says god you could see my frame you could see everything about me you were aware of my life from the moment of conception and from the blueprint to the framework, God was the overseer of the entire design process. Again, which just reminds us here as David says this, that God designs, if you would, the custom frame that each and every one of us get as an individual. That's God's choice as a perfect builder. That means some people are small boned. Other people are big boned. That means that some people are tall and other people are short. That means that God chose what you would look like. And God chose what your skin color would be and what your hair color would be and your eye color would be. God chose your your bodily features and all the shapes and sizes that we're concerned about of our bodily features. God decided that exactly how all of that would look. He does all that creatively for a set purpose of your personal existence on this earth because of everything good and wonderful God has planned for your life existence. And none of that was wrong. None of that was a mistake. God didn't, you know, make an error in the blueprint there. All of that God with foreknowledge and awareness created it uniquely for you exactly the way you were for his purposes And God doesn't make mistakes. And God doesn't build faulty houses. He has a reason. And and let me say in connection to that, I understand whether or not in our limited, finite human mind we fully understand, why was that person created like that? God has a purpose. He does not make mistakes. You cannot negate the fact that he is a perfect God And we may not on this earth understand why is that person created like that or why was I created like this? Listen, God has a purpose. We may not see it and fully understand it to heaven or maybe we need to pray and open our eyes a little bit bigger but God always has a purpose for all things and it's a good purpose never for evil or for harm and God sees value in every human life. He says in verse 16, You saw my substance being yet unformed. That word saw speaks of the, the, the overview of an architect. Again, from embryonic stage to birth, God, like an architect, draws out the blueprint, and like the architect, he stays on the job site. He oversees the whole thing all the way to, to the completion process, and he's intimately acquainted with us. I mean, what a statement. Your eyes saw my substance being yet, notice, unformed. Being unformed, God already saw. I love Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. If you're a note taker, a great verse to take note of. Jeremiah 1, 5 says this. God declares, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you and I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Do you hear what God says to Jeremiah? He says, Jeremiah, even before I formed you, even before the formation process happened, after conception, before I formed you, I already knew about your existence. Now that tells me something there. God, even prior to conception, knows about the existence of every human being. He says, I knew about your existence as a human being on this planet even before you were conceived and then formed in the womb. God values every life. And he says, Jeremiah, before you were born, I sanctified you, ordained you as a prophet unto the nations. Again, Before that child was born, God already knew the sex of that child. God already knew the the traits that Jeremiah would have. God already had a plan laid out for Jeremiah that God had called him to be a prophet. God, God had a vocational, useful purpose for Jeremiah's life even before he was formed and born. God already said this particular human being that will live on this planet, these will be their contributions to the planet. How sad to think of lives that have been snuffed out and, and, you know, and, and removed, pregnancies that have been you know, aborted, to think about the fact of what if some of those lives had come into existence, maybe what God might have had planned for them. And we now have missed out on in our world, unfortunately, because of what they would have come forth and maybe what and who they could have been. It's kind of a sad thing to recognize that reality. And so here, God's speaking of the value of life in this way. God God may work in mysterious ways, but by faith we must realize he is good and wise, his formation, his creation of every life and every person has purpose. And as I said at the very beginning of the study, that means that we must, by faith, embrace our God-given identity of who we are. So listen, that means this. If God created you genetically to be a male, God did not make a mistake. If God created you genetically to be a female, God did not make a mistake. No matter what you feel or think, or we all have tendencies and struggles with different things. But it is an affront to God to say, I was made genetically, creatively this way, but that's not what I am. Well, that, that, that's not true. That's saying that God somehow made a mistake in the manufacturing process. God would not do that. Why would a loving, good God say, hmm, I'm going to make you like this just because your whole life I want you to struggle because I'm going to make you like that even though really you should be. I mean, that, that almost gives an, an evil intent to God. That God would make someone a male, even though they're supposed to be a female. God would not do that. God's a loving God. He doesn't make mistakes. And again, everything about who you are, your person, your nature, learn to just accept you are who you are by design. There's nothing wrong with you. God's wired you and created you exactly as he has. Each person has value, no matter who they are, no matter what even someone's condition is at birth. May we never look upon a life as if somehow it does not still have value on this planet. It does. It has a value and an intention. And so David says there in verse 16, going on, again, directed by the Spirit, look what he says in verse 16 at the end of it. He says, Lord, and in your book, they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when yet there was none of them. So as he's describing the days of his life on this earth, he speaks of them being recorded in God's book before his birth and his life experience ever started happening. He says, all the days of my life were written in your book, God, before one of them ever began, before one ever started. The days fashioned intended for me were written down in your book. The idea here of God having a complete record of every day of our entire life existence shows us, again, God's total awareness of every experience of every day of our life, of every choice we would make throughout our life before it began, and the value and importance God holds for the purpose and plan he has for your life. Because before your life ever started and you started living out your existence, God already had ideas in his mind recorded of how your life was going to have purposes and uses and what the experiences of your life were going to be. That means God is aware of all things you would ever experience in your life. And that may be hard to reconcile regarding bad experiences or maybe hard experiences, but listen, God was never aloof. And even the good experiences as well as the bad experiences, God was fully aware and in his overall big picture, not just of this life, but the eternal destination he intends for you, God was aware of every experience we would all go through in our lives and has a way for his good purpose to use those for an intended purpose still. And it's most of all, a beneficial purpose. For some of us, our brokenness and even our bad experiences that may have been very painful and difficult and traumatic, those may have been some of the things that God permitted allowed. I'm not saying he calls them, but permitted and allowed because those might be the very things that would bring us to a place where we recognize the need of God in our life. And so me, he may have a. La- and so in his awareness of all these things, that means every decision he says all the days written in, in your book before one can make every decision you've made your whole life, all your good decisions, your bad decisions, every one of your failures, all of your mistakes. God, God no, that's, that's going to happen on page three eighty two. Yo, oh, he's yeah that oh, that decision he's going to make on page three eighty two. Oh man, that's going to be a doozy. He'll recover from it. And God still loves you. And God's going to use all that to still write your story and weave it all together. And he's not shocked by He doesn't have to step in and edit things. He's, he's not overwhelmed by the bad choices that we make and poor decisions and failures. He loves you. He's committed to the process. And he factors in even all your failures. He factors all that into ultimately the purpose and the plan and being able to superintend and bring it all about. Now, obviously, though God allows us free will and choice the bible wants us to see that god in his love and his wisdom has this mapped out life for us this written out plan for our life that's an awesome plan way better than our plan and that he wants us to realize that that's available to us and his highest ideal therefore is that we would follow his plan that's written out for us in his book and that as we seek god and follow the lord he would then write his will onto the fleshly tablet of my heart and then I would want to live out his plan and live out what he's written out and recorded for me. Now, some people, unfortunately, they reject God's plan and they try and rewrite their own story. And what usually happens is that results in misery and regrets and a life of pain and problems and frustration because they're trying to rewrite the best story ever written which was God's story for your life God's plan God's wonderful plan now the challenging thing though our life has been written out the challenging thing is we only get to live this life right one day at a time that's the hard part so that means if a day is like a page in God's book we don't always know what's on the next page that's what's hard for me I'm living one page at a time, one day at a time. I don't know what's 10 pages ahead, or I don't know if the story's going to take a turn. I don't know what the next chapter holds. I don't know what the next few chapters are going to hold, but God does. I don't know exactly how long the book is. I don't know how many pages are in my book, meaning I don't know when the end of the story is or the day I'm going to die. But God, the Bible says, is aware of all these things. All these things every day, every page, how many days there are to my life. That's why, listen, that's why it is the wisest thing a human being can do to live in close relationship with the author of life. Because he knows what's on next page. In fact, he knows what's in the next chapter for your life. And he knows what's ahead three chapters. And so that's why the wisest thing any of us can do is get on the right page and get on the same page as God. Say, God, I'm going to live close to you because you're the author and you got the book and so (laughs) you already know what the next page has. So I want to stay in step with you and live close to you and the best thing we can do is be in a close relationship with Jesus who is the author and finisher of our faith. It's for our best interest, that very reality. Again, implicating here to us very clearly the value and importance of every life that it's been written, recorded, this incredible thing and then David concludes Verse 17 and 18, with speaking of not only God's interest in creating and designing us, but notice his mind then never leaves. Verse eighteen or 17, how precious are your thoughts toward me or to me, O God. How great is the sum of them if I should count them, he says, if I could. They'd be more in number than the sand. And then I think he's almost like, this seems like a dream. And when I awake, God, it's, it's true. <laughs> I'm still with you. But as David's thinking through this, he reflects on us being in God's thoughts. He says, how precious and valuable are your thoughts toward me, God. A pretty marvelous thing. I think what David, again, is awestruck by is consider, here's Almighty God. I'd say he's a little bit busy, right, you think? He's overseeing the whole universe. Everything that's going on, taking control and operating and occupied with all things and despite that busyness, He's saying God is actually thinking about you personally all the time. And everything that pertains to your life and what you're going through right now and what you're feeling and what you're thinking and what you're experiencing, God is never disconnected. He's never disinterested. He's never like human beings. One of my biggest pet peeves is when human beings act like they're busy and they act like they're important. And sometimes I interact with people and I think, you're acting like you're important. Please stop. Stop. Listen, God's pretty busy. He's very important. But He is so busy and so important and yet He loves you so much. You're always on His mind. He's always thinking about you. He's always interested in your life. He says, if I could count the sum of your thoughts, He says, how great is the sum? If I could number them, they would be greater, He says, more than the number of the sand, the grains of sand on this earth. That means every beach, Every desert, that's a pretty big number. The idea is your thoughts towards me, God, are innumerable. God's thoughts about your life are so many, they're innumerable. His interest, his concern in you, that you're constantly on his mind. And here's what's the best part, ladies and gentlemen, his thoughts towards us aren't just constant and continuous towards you personally, but they're good thoughts. Jeremiah twenty-nine eleven says this, God declares, for I know the thoughts... That I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. God says, I don't care how you feel or how you think I think about you. That's not true. He says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you and the thoughts that I'm thinking towards you aren't of harm. They're not evil thoughts. It's not that your life... He says, that's not my intention. God says, my intention towards you is to give you a great future and a glorious hope. That's how God's thinking about us. Listen, God declared that after the people of Israel had made horrible mistakes. They were on their way into 40 years or 70 years, 70 years of captivity and discipline for bad decisions. If there ever should have been a time when God was saying, my thoughts toward you are to spank your bottom. I mean, that's what should have been is that, but they are on their way into the consequences of their own mistakes, reaping their failures, and God says, oh, even though you're on your way to consequences, the thoughts I'm already thinking about you, I can't wait on the other, the future I have for you, the hope I have for you, the good things I want to do for your life. This is the way that God thinks upon us. Let's stand, let's pray together.